I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandysfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. This week, my guest is Nuria Madrenas, founder and principal curator of Tacit, a platform dedicated to the sale of artwork entirely created by women artists. As an artist herself, Nuria recognized a gap in the market to provide female artists with a dedicated resource to sell their work and achieve discoverability. Nuria is devoted to supporting female artists in a way that encourages women to take pride in merging creativity and commerce. She applies her expertise in communications to amplify Tacit's mission and enhance the reach of female artists globally. Here is our conversation. Well, good morning, Nuria. It's a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female, and thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. So if you've listened to an episode before, you know that I like to start these conversations by going back in time a little bit. So I want to know, when you were growing up as a younger girl, Uh, What did you dream of doing later in life as a career? And did you ever envision something that would actually be similar to what you're doing now? Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because definitely not when I was growing up. I definitely was uh, raised in a more conventional household. Um, My dad's a doctor. My mom is a social worker. Um, My siblings both followed in kind of similar-ish footsteps. Um, And I sort of had shiny object syndrome to a certain degree. So things that, you know, would interest me would kind of pique my interest and I would want to explore them a little bit further. Um, But I never really was was too set in stone into one career path. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I was exploring what to do, where to go to university and what to study, my older sister had just said kind of informally in passing, oh, you would be great in PR. And hearing that from somebody that I really respect, I think that um, it was sort of gave me the push that I needed to pursue uh, a less conventional career path and really follow my passions. Um, So that led me to pursue a career in fashion and beauty PR. And that is what I've been doing for, um, you know, the past several years before starting my own business. Mm. And then tell me about that moment where you decided to take the plunge and become an entrepreneur. And then we'll get into talking about what your business actually is. Mm-hmm. So how, how did the idea present itself and, you know, what kind of steps did you take to turn it into a reality? So because I had been working in PR, um, I always had a passion for art and, um, my parents, they're both born and raised in Barcelona, kind of like that European lifestyle had always ingrained within us that just general appreciation for art. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I was always surrounded by it growing up when I was working in PR, I had, um, I had really cultivated a lot of relationships with artists and um, whether I was working with them to illustrate campaigns or do live illustration at events, um, it was always something that I tried to like weave into a brand in some capacity. And um, in creating these connections with artists, I had realized that there was sort of this white space where 
you know, there was no kind of curated platform for them to sell their work. Mm -hmm. And um, it was either very oversaturated or too high end and, you know, slightly intimidating and daunting to kind of break into. Um, And so there was sort of this middle ground that was untapped at the time. Um, And upon doing more research, I realized this discrepancy between female and male artists within Mm -hmm. the industry. Um, Female artists account for, you know, a mere 2% of art sold at auction um, when, you know, the the number of, of, um, of art school graduates is double in females than it is males. So Mm -hmm. this kind of disparity there really piqued um, my interest to kind of do something about it. Um, and, and I was also freelance doing some art on the side myself, like just, you know, Mm -hmm. some commissions for friends and for family. Um, and I too found that there was no desirable platform to sell my work. So knowing that other artists shared that sentiment, I thought that there was a real opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And was it kind of a, you know, a scary prospect kind of dropping, you know, your career and jumping into this, or maybe was it a side hustle when you first started? Mm -hmm. So it started as a side hustle. It was a side hustle for a good two years before Mm -hmm. I took it full time. Um, So I definitely really very gradually built it up. I think even when I started, I didn't know sort of the magnitude of what it would become. It really started as a passion project. And I was very steadfast in my career at the time I was working in, um, in marketing and I was, you know, very passionate about that as well. And so I started this passion project and as it kind of progressed, I realized that that was really where my passion lied and, um, kind of that zone of genius that people talk about. Mm. And then tell me about starting the business and when you went full time with it, you know, what was that first, year those first few months like and was it what you expected were there surprises along the way it's definitely been very unpredictable Mm -hmm. um I couldn't have expected kind of anything I think every day there's there's a new obstacle um (laughs) a different barrier that you that you're faced with um but that's what keeps it interesting as well Mm -hmm. I think that um you know that's whether you are doing that working for somebody else or doing that for your own business, there's always going to be those challenges mm-hmm. um, if you're really pushing yourself at, outside of your comfort zone. Um, and that's what I really love about it. I think mm-hmm. I love those challenges because on the other side of that challenge is a really great reward. Um, and it's very fulfilling to be able to be doing this, not just you know for myself, but for our community of artists. Mm-hmm. And is there something that you wish you knew before you started out, like a, you know, kind of a major lesson that you wish you had, you know, heard about or advice you'd wish you had received prior to starting Yeah, it's interesting because I think that I have so many ideas still to this day of other businesses that I would be interested in pursuing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I always am like, oh, but I could never do it because I know how much work it takes. And so I almost think that going, it's like I, when I have friends or people who, who come to me for advice about starting a business, it's almost like go in blind because mm-hmm. I think that that ignorance is bliss and what is, yeah. it's going <laughs> to push you to start. If mm-hmm. you gather too much advice and, um, you know, 
try to sort of mold your path perfectly. It's, Mm -hmm. it's just not going to work out the way you planned regardless. So I almost Mm -hmm. think it's like, there's something very empowering about going in with kind of little to no information. I mean, obviously do your, your market research and your competitive analysis and make sure that there's a viable business here. But, um, I think it's really, it's all the more exciting and kind of lights that fire within you when you kind of mm-hmm. don't know anything and you're just figuring it out as you go. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a, a very valid point. Um, who's, who's kind of a source of inspiration for you? Do you have role models, maybe other entrepreneurs you look, look up to, uh, and I'm interested in any women role models in your life or they could, they could be mentors as well. Totally. Um, so one of them for sure is my, first boss. Um, when I started working in PR, I worked at an agency here in Toronto, Jane Gill PR, mm-hmm. um, and Jane Gill, the founder, um, of course is, uh, is a huge inspiration for me. She always has been, she's really, um, been a mentor for me throughout my entire career. Um, and I think that she is, you know, she's, creative and she's compassionate. Um, and she has all of these wonderful qualities that a lot of female entrepreneurs possess, Mm -hmm. but she is also an incredible businesswoman. And I think that's what's enabled her to, you know, sustain a business for 35 plus years. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's worked with some of the best in the business as her clients and as her peers. So I think that that is, she's always served as a great inspiration for me. Um, and then I have a ton of just like people that I don't know personally that are huge inspirations. I love, um, Pia Barancini. She's, um, a Mm -hmm. creative director at LPA, one of the revolve brands. Mm -hmm. Um, she's somebody that I think one of the reasons I look up to her is she strikes this incredible balance between business, but also, you know, personal life and having, mm-hmm. you know, her being very family oriented and, um, having really understanding the value of the two and that they can coexist, um, I think is very powerful because I think you feel like you sort of need to dedicate a hundred percent of yourself to one area of your life, whether yeah. it be, career or relationships or, you know, personal, um, your own personal life. But I think it's, it's really inspirational to know that you can have the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love, um, uh, Diana Cohen, who I believe has been on here. Yeah, from she Crown has. Affair. Yes. Of course, yeah. Love her. I think that she does an incredible job with Crown Affair. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's great to see how, her business has, you know, propelled over the past couple of years. She only launched Absolutely. it, I think, right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and she as well, I think, is just very poised, very, um, she seems very self-assured. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think it just, um, that sort of energy really exudes that, that confidence and kind of, um, inevitably like very much inspires, you know, women and those around you. And, um, what was the response? So you obviously launched, um, and I can't believe this wasn't, you know, already available on the market. Cause we, when we think about it, it's almost obvious, right. Um, a service where one can purchase art and that's, 
you know, created exclusively by women. Um, and knowing, as you said, how many women creators are out there and the fact that they tend to be underrepresented in traditional uh, art dealership in, in, in general. So what was the response from clients, from the community? Um, and, you know, what, what are you seeing in terms of feedback from your audience and markets, basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the response definitely to the concept has been overwhelmingly positive, uh, which has been great to see. I think, um, like you said, people had been longing for something like this to exist. Mm -hmm. And so it, it really, I think one of the things that's been so, one of the pieces of feedback that we get from our community of art collectors is that, you know, people want to feel connected to the things that they display in their home and they almost want it to, you know, be an extension of themselves and tell a Mm -hmm. story. They, it can be a conversation piece when you invite guests over, it can serve, you know, as a, um, a source of like ease for you. When you Mm -hmm. come home, you want your space to kind of convey a certain feeling. Um, and so I think that through our concept being dedicated to female artists and having that very strong um, brand position is people feel that connect almost an emotional connection to the brand Mm. and feel very proud to display this artwork in their homes um, because it not only has, you know, the like qualitative visual value to it of like enhancing the look of your space. Um, but it has like, you have that emotional connection to Mm -hmm. it. Um, which I think is something too, that carries you from space to space, home to home. Mm -hmm. Um, these things that are almost like serve as landmarks of like a a moment in time. If you remember when you got it and it can Mm -hmm. kind of like carry you through, Um, so that's been a really great piece of feedback. And, um, I think also one of, as we've expanded, as we've sort of grown the business, um, noticed a real opportunity in the, um, art consulting and advisory space. So Mm -hmm. working with residential clients, um, and commercial clients to curate art for their spaces. Um, but for residential clients in particular, that also didn't really exist before on such a small scale because Mm -hmm. it was, you know, you would work with an art advisor if you were buying blue chip artworks. Yeah. Um, Majorities. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, for, for smaller scale, more entry level art, um, there wasn't, you know, somebody that you could work with that could help you, uh, compose a gallery wall or decide which piece would look best, you know, above your Mm -hmm. sofa based on the different textures and styles within your space. Um, so that's something that we also, it was, that service came out of a direct kind of, um, request from people wanting that and kind Mm -hmm. of listening to our customers and realizing that there was an opportunity there. And then that wing of the business has really expanded um, Mm -hmm. based on, you know, just that, that customer experience. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's also a a brilliant idea to be offering that service. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise. And they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. 
What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. You've had wonderful collaborations. Um, I've seen a, a few uh, a few examples of your work with the AGO, for example, in in Toronto. So, how do you go about you know finding partners and kind of linking with you know larger art organizations and getting them interested in in what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a priority of mine because I think um, there are like I said, kind of a lot of more saturated entry-level art marketplaces um, that might not have the same legitimacy as different art institutions or as other art institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, So by aligning tacit with an institution like the AGO, I think that people are able to it kind of legitimizes our business and also gives our um, our artists an additional platform and some some additional exposure in that way. But that specific partnership actually came about from um, when I had first launched the business a couple months in. I had reached out to a general email address um, at the AGO that I had found and told them what I was doing and, you know, if they wanted to collaborate with me in any way. And they had forwarded me, forwarded my email to the GM at the time. Mm -hmm. um, And he got in touch with me. And funny enough, he was actually an old client of mine from Jane Gill PR. So he had worked at a watch company at Jane Gill PR, and then he had moved to the AGO. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh my God, I can't believe you're doing this now. Like we, we definitely need to collaborate. Um, and so we had connected, we had kind of dreamt up some ways that we could work together. And then the pandemic hit, the mm-hmm. AGO closed Close. and, you know, there was all of this uncertainty. Yeah. Um, and, but then we had reconnected in the summertime once things had opened up again. And to my surprise, they They work very quickly, which is very nice. Like they were, we had reconnected at the end of August and they were like, all right, let's launch this Mm -hmm. in October. Like, you know, just like get the, the prints in here, choose a selection of works and, and just get it out there. Um, I think that they're also in a stage of, you know, maybe wanting to appeal to a younger collector as well and really like stimulate that appreciation for art in a younger demographic, um, which I think was sort of a perfect marriage in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think that that's an interesting story of just like maintaining good rapport with people who, yes. you know, you never know who you you're going to meet exactly. in your yes. next life and your next venture. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, I was very, very thrilled to have that opportunity to continue to collaborate with them to this day. And congratulations for that. That's, that's really wonderful. But also it's interesting that it started with a cold call or cold email, right? And then you ended up exactly. realizing you had a connection. So exactly. it is always worth sending that cold, doing that cold call because you never know who's on the other end. 1000%. That's like something that the amount of time I've spent like 
guessing people's email addresses, <laughs> like trying to, it's just like, but it, you know, once you get through it's, you know, people recognize that effort that you've made to make a very like personal note to them or, or, or recognize like the passion that you have towards um, collaborating or working with them or connecting with them. Um, and I think that goes a long way. Hmm. And how do you view, um, you know, the concept of collecting art uh, and obviously you're offering things at uh, entry level price points, as you were saying, it's not, we're not talking about blue chip art. And I think for a lot of women, especially, um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily familiar with, uh, with the, the principles of collecting art and, you know, what it means as part of a, an investment strategy, for example. So how do you approach that? Is that part of your business model and kind of raising awareness for uh, the, the, the principles of art collecting, basically? Totally. Um, that's definitely something that's always in the back of my mind. And I try to, you know, pass on the knowledge that I do have to others if, if they're interested. You know, some mm-hmm. I think that some people just, um, they don't even want to like think about it. And they're just like, I want something yeah. beautiful that I you want know, something I on my wall that I'm happy yeah, to look at. <laughs> like, I connect with the artist for yeah. sure. And like their story, but, um, not to think of it as like an asset class necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's really interesting that it's, you know, art is an asset class, especially as, you know, we get into very, um, like we said, blue chip artworks and with the rise of NFTs and all of that right now, there's definitely a lot going on with like, um, on the topic of art investing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I, what I try to do is just demonstrate to people the different factors that play into the value of a piece of art. Right. Um, so these are all things from scale provenance, um, you know, like the history of ownership of a work, Mm -hmm. uh, the medium, the scarcity, all of these things, um, play into that. And I think that education is really important when you're an entry level collector yourself, Mm -hmm. because you might not understand why a limited edition piece is more expensive than an open edition or why an original is, you know, significantly more expensive than an open edition piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that education is, is really important so that people can begin to curate their collections and, you know, almost set that, um, like hierarchy in a way Mm -hmm. of, for example, for me, I have an original above my bed that Mm -hmm. is very special to me. I love the artist. I have a relationship with her. Um, and it serves that like focal point piece in my, in my space. Um, whereas I'll have, you know, more open edition pieces that I've bought, you know, at a museum gift shop that is, you know, was definitely more affordable and it, is it holds like a smaller space in my, you know, on my wall. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think each of them have significant value and like meaning to me. Um, but obviously, you know, you, you recognize why you're paying more for one versus the other. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. No, and I think that's, that's a really interesting angle to, to Mm -hmm. explore. Um, what kind of responsibility do you feel, um, you know, as leader of your company, you're also making a statement, uh, you've, you've kind of created, 
you know, a, a niche business and you're addressing a need that clearly was lacking in, in the arts market, uh, targeting, you know, women uh, creators specifically and uh, just the way your platform runs when you're not a, you're not a traditional gallery. A lot of it is online or most of it is online. Um, so what kind of responsibility as a leader? And I guess I'm asking about your take on leadership um, you know, how, how do you see your role, uh, within the industry and as the founder of your business? Definitely. Leadership is, is a very challenging one for me. I won't lie. I think, um, it's again, one of the most challenging, but also one of the most rewarding parts of, of business, whether you're, you know, wh- whether you're working for somebody else in a management capacity or working for yourself, um, it's been it's been challenging because I think that I am I have a very autonomous leadership style and I put a lot of trust in people and their expertise um, and I don't like to be too helicoptery mm-hmm. um, so but I think you know different people respond to different leadership styles so I think some people prefer um, you know want a little bit more handholding or you know want, um, a little bit more guidance, which is something that I am working on being able to be a malleable leader in that sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as it relates to on the, on the broader scale of things, um, I definitely feel that responsibility to, you know, have equal, of course, we're, are entirely dedicated to female artists, but also mm-hmm. I want to have representation within the artists that we represent. Right. Um, I think that that is very important. And I feel that that responsibility and that need to, um, to display that representation within right. um, our roster. And I also see um, kind of a greater responsibility of something even beyond selling art, um, but making making strides towards museums and major art institutions actually evening out the playing field of their collections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that responsibility to, you know, I, I would love to be able to uh, make strides to, to change that within mm-hmm. the industry, because I think that there is still such a long way to go. And there are some great organizations that are trying to have an impact um, with those larger art institutions, <clears throat> but kind of the more the merrier to to really get our voices heard, mm-hmm. um, because it it continues this disparity continues to persist, and it, it until there's sort of that like major change, um, I think it'll be a very long road ahead of us. Um, so I definitely feel responsibility. Uh, as it relates to that style of leadership, that's almost transcends my own business. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and kudos to you for feeling that, you know, you can play that role and, and have that kind of impact. I think that's terrific. Um, you brought up, you were talking about Diana Cohen and you brought up and even uh, um, Pia, you were talking about how, uh, or Pia specifically, the balance of, you know, the importance of family life and the time and energy she dedicates to her family and running the business at the same time. What does that look like for you? And, you know, we often talk about that myth of work-life balance, which I think can't perfectly be achieved. Um, Mm -hmm. But what kind of space and what kind of, uh, what types of 
things do you try to make space for in your life so you still have a personal life outside of work? And especially in those first few years as an entrepreneur, it's easy to give all of our time and energy to our business, as we know. Yeah, I've always been a big believer in like, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so really prioritizing myself and my own well-being has been what's allowed me to dedicate so much to my business um, Mm -hmm. and to, I guess, really when I am spending time on my business to be fully present and get the most out of that time spent. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, like you said, it's sort of, it is a myth that we can have like this perfect balance. I think that there's seasons of life where, you know, you may be prioritizing business and you won't have as much of a social life. I've definitely been going through that the past two (laughs) years. Um, And then seasons of life where you're able to, you know, let your business sort of sustain itself a little bit more and focus on your personal life. Um, And I think having really good people in your life, friends, family, relationships, is, you know, having that support system is what's going to allow you to do that because they completely understand when, you know, you might be MIA for a period of time just due to, you know, career needs. I think that, um, but I, I think it's a, it's one of those things where the process is the outcome. There's always, you're never going to achieve perfect equilibrium and perfect balance between business and personal life. Right. Um, but, you know, finding really just enjoying the process of being able to navigate the two of them and, um, and still, you know, do whatever is going to fulfill you, um, Mm -hmm. and, and make you happy at the end of the day. Love that. And I mean, that the next question kind of connects, or you might choose to answer it in a completely different way, but, uh, always one of my favorite questions to ask guests, what's one thing you wish women would do more of, and it might be collecting art. And what's one thing you wish women would do less of? Ooh, that is a good one. Um, collecting art. I like that one. I didn't think of that one. Um, but I think I would, I would love to see more radical candor from women. Um, I think that, I know for myself and I know for close friends of mine, we tend to suppress certain, certain feelings or certain emotions, um, and want to, you know, we we don't want to offend anybody and we're typically empaths and we really feel for other people's, um, emotions in, in certain scenarios. And I think it's really important to practice candor and transparency because you, we need to have our voices heard and, and our needs met. Um, and I think that that applies for, again, both business and personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, yeah, that sort of the ability to have those uncomfortable conversations is what's going to kind of catapult you into that next stage of life. Um, and then for less of on like sort of two sides of the same coin, but less apologizing and, you know, apologizing for who you are and, um, for things that, you know, a a man would never apologize for, or, you know, Mm -hmm. never feel, um, feel guilty for doing. I Mm -hmm. think that we really 
if we can do, you know, if we can have more radical candor and do less apologizing, I think that there is so much empowerment in that. And that's something that I myself am still striving towards every single day. And it's just a, a conscious choice uh, daily in each mm. of my interactions. Mm-hmm. That's that's a great way. And it's funny, it seems to be the theme, uh, the past few interviews I've done, yeah. I think in the last week or so, everyone was saying less apology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there there seems to be themes. It's it's interesting because guests will, uh, once in a while, somebody has a completely different answer, but usually there's, you know, patterns and consistency in how women choose to answer this question. So totally. that's, I that's think- the theme for this month, less less apologizing. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one to to it's it's very simple advice to give and very difficult to take to and yeah. <laughs> being able to take our own advice I think mm-hmm. is um while it's challenging it's so important to do. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Nuria. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. We'll link up uh, all the, the places where we can find you online, on social, and I can't wait to see what you're up to next. And thanks for making the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. I really appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women in Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.